Welcome to Nairobi Chapel and Bakasi. We grow deep to reach wide. So normally I like to begin with a question. And for today, the question is, okay, we know sin and we know that all sin is equal, right? But if we were to rank them as human beings, if we want to rank them, which do you think would be the worst sin? Murder. <laughs> Worship an idol. Okay. Okay, let's take those two. Who say murder? Who vote for murder? <laughs> so most people seem to view murder as like the worst sin though we all know that all sin uh, is equal we'll be able to come back to that so uh, as uh, chesi has mentioned i have a daughter and i'm learning so much about god from my daughter she's two and a half years old and two weeks ago, uh, there's this changing station. So she wanted to move it to where it normally is. Now it is bigger than her. So she, can't lift, she, can, she cannot lift it. But she was so uh, purposeful that she wanted to take it to where it's meant to be. And now when she realized she cannot be able to do it, she called me to assist her. And we were able to do that. And I've just been looking out for opportunities whereby she's doing things that are beyond her ability, and she always comes to me to ask for assistance. And it made me just understand this verse in Matthew 18.3 that says, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because if, if you give me something to lift and I'm not able to do it, I'll just look at it and say, siwezi, you know. Or I'll go and try, and when I'm defeated, I just give up. But this is a child who is like, this thing has to move one way or another, whether I seek help or not. And I know that my daddy is here who will be able to help me move it. And that's what God really is calling us to be, whereby we have tasks or visions that are bigger than us. But God is asking us to reach out to him, and he'll be able to help us uh, achieve those plans and visions and everything that we have. Now, uh, last week, and this is something that even Pastor Fred doesn't know. So, the moment he told me that he wanted me to speak today, I went, prayed, and just got a confirmation of what I needed to speak on. But, funny as it is, he's been mentioning the way opening the church, there was a, a lot of warfare. And I actually started feeling it after he told me that I need to come here to speak. And I was in a place where I'm like, I... So, last week, I was coming on Sunday... To tell him that boss we'll do it another time you know <laughs> rain check rain check on that and i even tried to justify it because the tail end of this week i've been out of nairobi I actually came last night so i was like ah, perfect excuse and all that so we sat there just at the back there and during worship i'm worshiping god and you know there's something that worship does worship puts god in his rightful place yeah and God just started rebuking me. Like, oh, boss, unadhani ni job yako unafanya? Because actually when I, I wanted to come and say that I will not do it, I did not even consult God. So God was able to rebuke me there. And by worshiping God and putting him in his place, I was reminded that it is not about me. 
it is not about me. Guess what? If I did not stand here today to speak God's word, God's word would still have been spoken to his people and people would have received. So that was a big kiboko kwangu. But now the funny thing is now God started reminding me of the things that he had put in my heart to come and speak. Then Pastor Fred stands here and says, today we are talking about Paul. I'm like, boss, that is the same thing that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> and he's talking, I'm like, eh, <laughs> But anyway, I'm just glad that uh, I was able to be put in my place and reminded who God is, you know. Um, so one of the things we'll talk about, of course, uh, is Paul. Uh, and and uh, also when we say that we're putting God in his place and he's taking all the glory at times, you know, you wonder that this God who is it that he craves this glory? Why can't he share this glory? All the time, glory to God, he takes all the glory. But it's not that God is envious or anything. God knows us. God knows our hearts and he knows we cannot handle receiving glory. Unajua, kuwa kama on Sunday, we are entering here vile wasawareso ingia. Kila mtu na soundtrack yake. You know, puffed up, you know. But God does not want that. God, does, God knows that that thing, we cannot manage it. Don't forget, the devil was an angel before he was demoted. And we all know what led him to that. Being puffed up, proud, taking glory. So when God does that, it is for our good. We give all the glory to God. We don't take anything. So today, uh, I want us to look at two people. I mentioned Paul, but we'll also uh, look at Moses, a bit of his story. And we'll start with Moses, one person from, from the Old Testament, one person from the New Testament. So when you look at Moses, and we all know the story of Moses, this is the guy who led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. He did something that was unfathomable, something that was beyond in anything that we can ever think of. And just by having that overview of who Moses is, you know we can call him, he's like a legend. If, if this guy was a footballer, he would have a statue outside the stadium. You know, yeah? So when we look at an overview of who Moses is, we are like, wow, this guy was able to accomplish so much, to do so much. But when you read his story, you realize that this guy battled with self-doubt. This guy was just a normal human being with failings just like you and I. And I want us to look at the book of Exodus, chapter 3. And we'll just look at a couple of verses uh, in Exodus chapter 3 and also a few in Exodus chapter 4. So straight away I'll just go into reading uh, Exodus 3 from verse 1 which says that now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And you know, I can, I can relate with that. At the moment he realized that this was God, he was afraid because at that moment he was able to look at his insufficiencies, his inadequacies, his past sins, his past failures, his past weaknesses. And he must have thought that God has actually come to call me out at this point. Hapo unasimama kama vioja unaambua mnamo tarehe 20 wakati wa jioni ulikuwa wapi. So he must have thought that God is actually coming to to call him out and that's why it says that he hid his face. That is a moment of shame for him, you know. Then uh, verse 7 says the Lord said I have in, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the, of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now, you know, uh, Moses was brought up in Egypt, actually in the palace, but he was, he's an, he's an Israelite. And he was able to see how his people were being uh, tortured as slaves. And that thing really put something in his heart about it. So I'm sure when God was telling him this, he was like, hey, okay, phew, at least he's not calling me out. Then number two, at least we are sort of reading from the same page because that is what was in Moses' heart. Then the next thing God says in verse 10 is, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I'm imagining Moses at this point was like, wait, 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 wait. I already left Egypt, so you go and rescue your people so that they follow me. Me, I already left. I'm not going back there. And there's a reason as to why Moses would have felt uh, he is not the right person for this job. So in the next couple of verses, we look at different excuses that Moses gave. And one thing you'll realize that these excuses, they are not made up. They're actual, they're factual. They are things that actually were true. In that whatever he said, when you listen to it, you're like, that actually makes sense. But let's see this dialogue between Moses and God, how it goes. So Moses is being told to go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So the first excuse we see from Moses is, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Now, uh, you need to understand the background of uh, Moses. I mentioned that he grew up uh, in the palace in Egypt. But right now, he's somewhere different in a desert. He had run away. And the reason he had run away is because one day he saw an Egyptian uh, fighting uh, an Israelite. And uh, Moses went and intervened and he actually killed that Egyptian. And of course, he felt shame and he tried to uh, disguise that story. So the next day, he sees two Israelites fighting and he goes and, you know, tries to be the peacemaker there. And this guy, one of them asks him, who do you think you are? Do you want to murder me the way you killed the Egyptian? So Moses realized that people already know that I have killed someone. So he disappeared from Egypt. He went away completely because of 
the sin he had committed and the shame that he felt and he was fearing for his life. So God is telling him to go back there. You know, I'm like, for those who have watched uh, Snowden, you know, I think he's in Russia or something. <laughs> if he goes back to his home country, he'll be arrested. So this must be what uh, Moses was thinking. If I go back, the moment I set foot there, I'll be arrested or I'll be killed. So, and remember the question of the day, as human beings, what we rank as the most serious sin. This guy had actually committed that. In the eyes of human beings, he had committed the ultimate uh, sin. But God checks in and reminds him that, hey, this is not about you. This is not about you. God could have rescued the Israelites, even if Moses was not interested in uh, doing that role. That one was given. Just the same way that he reminded me that if I don't want to speak, the word will still be shared. But God was interested in working not only through Moses, but also in Moses. He was interested in working just not only through him, but also uh, in Moses as well. Ephesians 4.28, Paul, talking to the early church, says that, Did you use to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. So this sort of hints to the fact that some of the members of the early church were ex-offenders. Yeah? So it was full of imperfect people. But these were the people who were relied on to take the message forward, to evangelize the message to the people who had never heard it uh, before. And the same way with Moses, who had his own past, his own issues, God was telling him that it is not about you. So God did not accept Moses' uh, first excuse. This is an excuse anyone can give. The same one I, I wanted to give. Then verse 12 says, God said, I will be with you. Remember, he, the question Moses asked was, uh, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? God said, I will be with you. This is fascinating because the question is, who am I? God did not start saying, you are. He said, I will be with you. That's all that matters. God being with you. That is all that matters. It's not who you are. It is God being with you. And God says, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, he does not say if you happen to be successful in your quest. He says when you have brought the people out of Egypt, God had already done it. God had already done it. Yeah? He says you will worship God on this mountain. So what does Moses say in verse 13? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So the second excuse Moses gave was, if I go to the people, what should I tell them? When they ask me, uh, who sent you, what will I tell them? But this excuse did not fly with God at all. Because remember, it is not about Moses. It was not about him. And God says, I am who I am. That is the response in verse 14. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And this is where we get the title of, of our sermon today. When we say I am enough, what we are saying is the great I am is enough. And because he is, I am. The great I am is enough. And because he is, I am. And you know, 
that term I am is very interesting because we are normally very aware of our past and maybe also aware of where we want to be or where we see ourselves. What we struggle with a lot of times is the present situation. And God is saying, I am, meaning I'm coming to your present situation and I'll use you in your present situation. I will not use you after two or three other conditions are met in the future. No, 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 no. God wants you where you are right now to use you to move his gospel forward, to be an encouragement to the person seated next to you. God uses us in, on earth. At this very moment, God uses people. God uses people and God is interested in using you and I. So let's see what Moses says. Moses goes back and says in verse 4, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? So the third excuse is, what if they won't believe me? What if they ask me, oh, leskia wapi? Oh, leskia wapi? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> but what I like about God's response to Moses, he did not dismiss Moses. Actually, he showed him a way to overcome it. He asked him, now, sorry, now we, we are, so we are in chapter 4. That is chapter 4 now, chapter 4. Uh, verse 1. So in chapter 4 verse 2, God says to Moses, he asks him, what is that in your hand? What are you holding in your hand? Moses replied, a staff. Then God said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, has appeared to you. So I'd like to ask you today, what is in your hand? Moses at that point had a stick. We are told, uh, we go back to verse 1 of chapter 3, that uh, he led he led flock, basically. He was a shepherd. So he had that stick. And God used that stick that he had. He did not ask him to go and gather other things. He asked him, at this point, what do you have? And that is what God used. The way he led the flock is the way he led God's children out of Egypt. So that is, that is uh, Moses. The other person... Paul had a pen. Paul was a scholar. He was jailed many times and he took that opportunity to write. And we read about his letters in the New Testament. That is what Paul had. And he was able to, to propagate and just spread the gospel with whatever was at hand. Peter, in the New Testament, was a fisherman. Jesus called him and told him how to become a fisher of men. He just asked him, what do you have? What he had is, I am a fisherman. And God used that. David had a sling in his hand. And we all know the story of David and Goliath. David was able to do what trained army men with armor, armors and swords and everything could not do. He did it without any of those things. Just with a sling and five stones. So what is in your hand? Do not despise whatever you have in whatever situation you are. 
you're in right now because God will do that. God will use that and do exploits. We also know the story of two fish and five loaves and how many people it fed because that is what that boy had. And when God came in, he was able to use that to feed over 5,000 people. We know that story. Verse 6 of uh, chapter 4, God proceeds and tells Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Then verse 7, God says, now put it back into your cloak. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now in the Bible, leprosy is symbolic of, of sin. Yeah? And this is like Moses' past, the things that he was struggling with, his sin. And you know leprosy, it produces skin ulcers, nerve damage, muscle weakness, and you can see people with limbs falling off. If it's not treated, limbs fall off, disfigurement. Uh, if, nothing is, if nothing is done, there's even disability that can happen. Then also, people with leprosy, it, was, it had such a bad smell, a stench, that these people used to be kept somewhere. People used to social distance because of the smell uh, that was there. So this leprosy in the Bible is symbolic of sin. And Moses is told to put his hand inside his cloak twice. The first time, it becomes leprous. The second time, it is restored. So God was actually giving Moses a second chance. God was restoring Moses. Despite your past, I am able to forgive you, and I am able to use you. So God is here giving Moses a second chance. So what does Moses do? In verse 10, he says to God, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So he comes back with the fourth excuse saying that I am not eloquent. They say he was, uh, he was stuttering, you know. And probably at this point he thought, um, let, me, let me give God news, something he does not know. He has not considered that and he's sending me to go and talk. And I think God decided to remind him in verse 11. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. That is very interesting. He wasn't told I will help you speak and teach you what you say, then you will go. He says, now go. Then I will teach you. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. What God really wants from us is really our willingness. God, is not, God knows we are not ready. Surprise, God knows we are not ready. But what he, he's asking of us is whether we are willing. That is all he's asking for. The way I talked about my daughter, she's... Definitely she's not ready to lift that uh, changing station, but she was very willing to do it, and I was able to help her. And the same way God is coming and asking you, you may not be ready, and more chances, more often than not, is that we are not ready. But are you willing? Are you willing? 
So let's see whether that uh, was able to convince uh, Moses. In verse 13, Moses says, Pardon your servant. Please send someone else. <laughs> so you can see Moses was battling with a lot of insecurities of who he was, uh, his past failures, and he could just see that this task is too, too much for me and I cannot be able to do it. And we are told that, I mean, God became angry at this point and just told Moses that, I mean, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. He'll be like your spokesperson. You'll speak through him. But if you've read the story of Moses well, you'll realize that Moses was speaking. Moses was speaking. In as much as God says that we will use your brother, the work was done. Moses was able to speak to Pharaoh. Moses was able to speak to the Israelites and was able to perform the tasks that God uh, gave him. So God works with each of us where we are and he takes us where he wants us to be. We just need to be willing to leave behind the excuses. So that is Moses. The other person I want us to look at now from the New Testament is Paul. And last week, Pastor Fred gave a good uh, introduction of who, who Paul was. So this guy is the greatest evangelist in human history. Greatest evangelist in human history. He has written a big chunk of the New Testament, a, a good number of the books. He's an example that many people aim to follow. And as Pastor Fred said, even right now, there are several churches who the sermon is about Paul. This is someone who's talked about a lot, a lot. He's a great leader, an awesome Christian. But remember, at the point he was called to become an evangelist, he was totally unqualified. Totally unqualified. Imagine if they were having a, like a reality show, uh, the next, next top evangelist, you know? <laughs> Do you think Paul would have made it? At that time he was Saul. Do you think he would have made it? He would not even have been in the finals or considered at any point at all. But God does not look at people the way we look at people. And for God, Paul was the best, the best candidate. Now, Paul, when he was Saul, what was he doing? He was destroying churches, left, right, and center. In fact, at that point whereby he was converted, he was on his way to Damascus to go and destroy the church. He was going to take the followers of Christ, make them imprisoned, take them to jail. He was persecuting the followers of Christ everywhere. And also remember when the first martyr, Stephen, was being stoned to death, Paul was the one, at that time Saul, was the one who alikuwa mishikia watu jacket zao. Nishikia jacket ni kawewele mse. So yendo alikuwa mishikia jacket zao. And he gave, he gave his seal of approval that yes, let's kill that guy. So just imagine, this guy has been converted to become a preacher or an evangelist. You can imagine the first someone he preached when he stood in front of people like this, and everyone knows who this is. Imagine right now, uh, if, if Osama was still alive, Osama bin Laden, imagine if he was still alive, and right now we're being told, Pastor Fred is taking a bit of a rest. Then he says, next week we're having a speaker, an international speaker, coming. <laughs> then ukiwatu hapa, maybe it's as a worship, you see the guy checking in from there, boss. Utajua kuna gate side, whether you want to or not, and you'll disappear from there. So you can imagine when these guys were seeing Paul, who was Saul, coming to preach to them, they must have 
figured out this guy has come to kill us. This guy has come to finish us. But this was the same person that God used to evangelize the most uh, at this time. So apart from Paul having a pen in his hand, the other thing he had in his hand, he, was, he, he had the command of a foreign language. This guy was a Jew, yes, but he was able to speak a foreign language. And guess what? This is the guy that God used to, to preach to the people outside the Jewish area. So he was able to evangelize in the Greek-speaking world. Because these other guys were, being, were, were evangelizing just within, amongst themselves. But this guy was able to go to other nations. If you read the story of Paul, he was always on the move. One in a ship here, walking there, traversing, and he was just spreading the news to other areas. So he was able to speak a foreign language. That's what he had in his hand, and God used that. Now, it's easy when you, when you read the, the story of uh, Paul and you see the books of, he's written and all the places he's gone and say that this guy must have been a super apostle. This guy must have had it all. But also, like Moses, when you now go back and look at his story, you'll realize even this guy was battling with some issues and he was battling with some things that he actually asked God to take from him, but those things were still there. Who knows the name Eutychus? <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Oh, you're called Eutychus? Hey, okay. <laughs> I, I have never met a Eutychus in person. <laughs> the first time. So who knows Eutychus in the Bible? Now, Pastor Fred talked about him last week, just that he did not mention the name. And let me read this story, because when I tell people this story, they tell me, Iki to Aikoko Bible, Niwongo. Acts chapter 20 from verse 7. Where this story will help us see some of the weaknesses, so to say, in Paul. So Acts chapter 20 verse 7 says that on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Imagine this mama up at midnight. Talking, talking, yeah? Then it says that there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. This guy actually died while listening to the word of God. <laughs> He fell and he died. So what happened? Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him and, says, and said, don't be alarmed, he is alive. Then he went upstairs, again broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. This guy was to talk till midnight. So I'm imagining if I'm Eutychus, I'm like, I wish this guy had resurrected me in the morning. <laughs> this guy has resurrected me, then I go back. <laughs> So one thing we see from Paul is that he was not a very good orator. This guy used to talk everywhere he went and he was sent to speak. God sent him to go and speak to all these other nations, but he was not a good speaker. And you know what? Paul himself was aware of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says from verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence, or human wisdom, as I proclaimed 
you to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. Imagine that guy, we are, we are comparing with, with Osama and the way we fear him. The guy says that he actually came to these guys with fear and trembling. In the human eye, we are like this guy, but this guy was actually having some self-doubt within him. He says that my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He knows that he's not a good speaker. But he says, but his message was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Remember what we said? You're putting God in his place. Paul was able to understand this, that eloquence is not what transforms people. It is the Spirit's power. It is not how eloquent the speaker was. And our weakness demonstrates to us the need for God and allows him to work in us and through us. Because if we feel that we have it all, there is no space for God to work in us and to show himself strong. The Corinthians, these guys that Paul was talking to, they, they rallied behind the eloquent and polished preachers of the day. So they didn't like Paul, by the way. So there were these super apostles. Paul actually calls them that in quotes super apostles and these guys loved them because these guys were eloquent in what they said maybe how they dressed maybe they, they were driving the latest chariot I don't know what had the latest horses latest version of horses at that point but Paul did not have all that and he was not a good speaker and these, these super apostles actually knew that they were good and people actually admired them and they were actually taking advantage of the people of God monetarily. They were taking advantage of them in terms of their finances. Maybe up on your 310 Ilianza. Probably at that time it was 7, but because of inflation, we've gotten to 310. Maybe at that time it was like 7. You know, yeah? you never know. So Paul, in 2 Corinthians now, because Paul wrote two letters to, to the Corinthians, because each time he was going, he was getting news that, hey, then he, he writes to them again. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, when Paul was addressing this issue of these super apostles, he says, I do not think I am the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker. He is already, if you compared him to these other guys, maybe had gone to theology school and all that, the, Paul was untrained. So, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. And what Paul does when we go to verse 21, I think now he was trying to drive home a point. He said, what is it that these guys have that I do not have? So he says, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool because he did not want to boast about these things. But he says, watcha tuangalia. He asks, are they Hebrews? So am I. One, one. Are they Israelites? So am I. Two, two. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Three, three. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. Then he goes and says, I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. So, Tuliache Kiwa 3-3. Now it's, you can't even count. Now it's, it's like when Aston Villa in Chapel Liverpool, like 7 to, or, or Tottenham beat Manchester United. You know, such scorelines. <laughs> it is such scorelines. But look at the next verse. What does Paul say in the next verse? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So, whatever he was saying before, he was trying to prove a point to the Corinthians. But he says that if I am to boast at all, I will boast of things that show my weakness. Remember what we said, the great I am is enough. And because he is, I am. If we go to the next chapter in verse 7, Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what this is. We've never been told. Maybe Pastor Fred, don't know whether you know what it is. <laughs> I have never known what this thorn in the flesh is. He says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. Here is God's answer. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So this thorn in the flesh was not taken away. It actually brought about or exposed Paul's weakness. And God says, for my power to be made perfect, one of the recipes is your weakness. That is one of the recipes, your weakness, for my power to be made perfect. So it says that, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Without these weaknesses, at times we become puffed up and we end up not needing God. And that leads us down a spiral to disaster. This weakness reminds us that we are human and we need God. So it says, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Then he finishes by saying, for when I am weak, then... I am strong. When you come to the end of yourself, God checks in. There is no way we can know God's strength unless but when we are weak. We have to be in that position. And it's, it's very funny that if, if, if God was interested in using perfect people, the gospel would have ended after Jesus ascended into heaven. That is, we would not be having this Bible we are reading today. It would have stopped ages ago because none of the people who were left behind was perfect. God left, I mean, Jesus left the church to Peter. Peter who denied Jesus three times. Not once, not twice, 
three times. And guess what? He had been told. He, he had been prepared that you will deny me three times. And he was said, ah, no, no, no. Mimi, siwezi, mina wewe. But he denied Christ three times. And guess what? This is the person Jesus left the church with. With his inadequacies and weaknesses. So finally, I just want to remind you of a couple of people who God has used in the Bible and some of the things that they were battling with. We all, we all know the story of Noah. Building, he built the, the ark. He was able to preserve his family. People were laughing at him, but he was obedient to what God told him to do. But Noah was a drunk. You read the word. Noah was a drunk. Abraham, we know him, Father Abraham, we say that. Hmm? He was called by God when he was too old. In our eyes, he was too old at that point. He was being told that you'll be father of many nations. Guys, anaenda kugonga so na hata mtoto. You know. <laughs> and that was done. Jacob, Jacob was a liar. He used to lie about his wife. Jacob was a liar. Leah, you know the story of, of Leah and the sister. Leah was not loved. Leah was considered ugly. But when you talk of the 12 tribes of Israel, half of them come from, from Leah. Joseph was abused. His, his own brothers sold him into slavery. He was framed and all that. But despite all the circumstances, God used him to rescue his people. We've talked about Moses. Gideon was afraid. This guy used to hide. And when God sent the angel to him, this was the introductory line. Mighty man of valor. As in God saw this guy as mighty. And this guy was hiding in a, in a threshing floor. Yeah? We all know the story of Samson. Unfortunately, this guy was a womanizer. But still, God used him. Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was in the lineage of Jesus. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young when they were called. And we all know how that went. David, the person God says, this is a man after my own heart, had an affair and murdered or orchestrated the murder of someone. This same, uh, we're told the greatest king of Israel. Elijah was suicidal. I think there are so many. I won't be able to go through all of them. There are so, so many. We have the Samaritan woman who was divorced. So these people were in several situations whereby they'd have written themselves off. But for God, that was the perfect ingredient for him to move and for him to do great things in this day and age. And God wants to use us. God wants to use you. God wants to use me in whatever situation we find ourselves in because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And remember, he does not just want to use us or to work through us, but he also wants to work in us. If you read the story of all these people I've mentioned, God worked in their lives. God worked in their lives. God transformed them. And this message that we preach is because of imperfect people just being obedient to God. Basically, that is it. So today, would you be 
willing to say, I am obedient to you, God. May you use me. We are going into a new year. Next year, what do you want to do? Even in this congregation, how about you go and tell Wambo, I want to join the worship team. Or ask Pastor Mike, how can I assist? What can I do? Yeah? There's opportunity for us to minister to each other in this place, to edify one another, to edify the body of Christ. Don't look down upon yourself because God, God's power will be made perfect in whatever situation that you find yourself in. Thank you.